Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Well, today we really have what I think is going to be a very interesting show. We have Dick Beauvais joining us uh, in the first hour. We've got Bob Hoy in the second hour. Uh, we've got Chen Lin with me, and he's going to be commenting on some of his top picks and some stocks that... Well, some companies and projects that he's visited recently. John Lee, who is the chairman of one of those companies, will be joining me in about 15 minutes from now. And then later in the day, we have Roger Wiegand to help me wrap up the show. Uh, I should mention that uh, I am also the author of a newsletter called J. Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Roger Wiegand, uh, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying and What is Chen Selling?, and we do offer a special introductory, one-time only, a lower-priced trial subscription to all three of those newsletters separately, I might add. And you can call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 for more information on that. Or simply go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, uh, where you can also sign up for all three subscriptions. And I like to mention that jtaylormedia.com is another place it's good to go to, that's jaytaylormedia.com, uh, to access this radio show as well as all three newsletters and uh, television and video appearances that I'm involved with as well. We want to thank our sponsors for making this show uh, economically viable. The sponsors for the uh, first hour of today's show are Merrick's Gold, American Manganese, and Romeo's Gold. And we have two new sponsors who have just uh, joined us. Uh, they are RX Gold Corp., uh, they have an advanced stage gold project in Namibia and uh, also Visible Gold Mines. Um, Visible Gold Mines uh, trades uh, on the Toronto Exchange under VGD and in the United States under VGMIF. I might mention RX Gold's symbol uh, is AYX on the Toronto Exchange. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show as well because you are making this the number one show on the Voice America business channel by quite a long ways I might add our numbers have continued to grow since we started back in March of 2009 and I'm very very pleased it is really a most exciting endeavor for me because there are so many interesting people to talk to uh, who can shed some light not necessarily well I think shed some light on the truth about what is really going on the purpose of this show and I believe the reason this show is valuable and why it's growing in popularity is because we provide some insights into what is really going on as opposed to a lot of the propaganda and pap that you hear on the mainstream media where the vested interest uh, and the, the, um, the status quo of course wants to hang on to uh, things as they are so sometimes I think the truth gets bent a little bit in the mainstream and I think we we and other places on the Internet probably do a good job of providing some alternative views of the world as it really exists. 
Um, well, we'll be talking more about those two new sponsors and other sponsors uh, today as well. I should, again, just mention that, again, our uh, main guests, Dick Beauvais and Bob Hoy, uh, on July 27th, Dick Beauvais said on CNBC's Fast Money Show that investors should sell everything because the sky is falling in on the United States and the dollar as the world's reserve currency. And he painted a much brighter picture, however, just a few weeks later when he talked about the strong liquidity of Bank America, uh, Bank of America and some of the other major banking uh, companies and stocks and suggested they were really undervalued and should be purchased. But we'll ask Dick what caused him to change his view so drastically in such a short period of time uh, and whether he thinks America really has perhaps turned the corner. Could we be seeing better days ahead? We can only hope, of course. Bob Hoy, uh, who I think, unlike Dick Beauvais, is a real free market advocate, actually does have an optimistic view of things longer term. Uh, Bob praises the Tea Party, for example, and suggests that this is not only a U.S. phenomenon, but a global event taking place. And Bob thinks the Tea Party is a good sign, a sign of a bull market in common sense, as he calls it. Uh, and he says uh, that would bring with it a move away from statism or government solutions to problems. Uh, we can only hope, in my view, that Bob is right. That is uh, Bob Hoy. Uh, but we'll talk to him about his views on the markets in general and especially about gold and gold mining shares uh, as well. And Bob will be joining me at about 4 o'clock New York time today. Uh, in just a couple of minutes, John Lee, he's the chairman of one of the most exciting new Canadian exploration companies, uh, will be with us. That company is Prophecy Platinum. Uh, he'll be talking about that company's Yukon project, as well as its sister company's activities uh, as a coal producer in Mongolia, exporting coal uh, to Russia at the present time and also building a power plant. Very interesting story there. And then in the second half uh, of today's show, at the end, towards the end of the second half of the second hour, Roger Wiegand will be joining me uh, to share his views on the market. But right now, it's time to make money with Chen. Well, Chen, it's good to have you again. Uh, you weathered the hurricane, and you just came back from another trip to British Columbia, during which time you visited a couple of companies, um, both of which I follow in my newsletter. They are recommendations in my newsletter as well, Pritium Resources and Romeo's Gold. Welcome, Chen. Thank you, Jay. Okay, tell us about Pritium. Yeah, the Pritium is a very uh, high-grade deposit they, depart, uh, they, they discovered. Uh, it just only recently, about two years ago, silver standards started drilling out this area. They were looking for silver, and they found gold. So it doesn't add much value to their you know, shareholders, so they spin uh -huh. it off. Uh, so silver standard, the founders, Bob Quarterman, he came out of retirement, and around this new company called Pritium. Uh, they have very, very high-grade gold intercept, uh, 15 kilo uh, per ton. <laughs> A lot of people think it's silver. No, it's gold. Huh. Uh, they are, I, I've been their property. They've been hitting all over the place, uh, over 100 grams, some over 1,000 grams per ton in gold. Wow. And then those gold, the basic gold vein, uh, they the strike length, they said it's a few hundred meters. And I, I can see they have seemed to find where to find, you know, the next drill hole and so on and so forth. They seem to have a, a getting better and better idea where, you know, where all these uh, winds goes. So, and then relatively shallow. So, and, and they have, a, uh, they already have a, had a mining permit, but they expired. So they need a reapply mining permit, maybe expand that, and they can go into production relatively quickly. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Chen, we don't want to mislead our listeners. Of course, there is always a difference between you can have some very narrow veins that have extremely high grades, the kind of numbers you're talking about. But what is more important, of course, is what is the bulk mining tonnage or if it's going to be a bulk mineable project. Do you see it as a bulk mineable project or will it be a, a vein project where they follow the veins or what is the thinking at this time? Yeah, the most likely will be underground. They're following the vein. Vein is like a, a, a one to a few meter wide and a few hundred meter strike, uh, and so it's relatively big and mineable. You know, you think about it, you can the dilution thing can be limited. It's not very thin vein, you know, relatively. Okay, so it'll probably be a high grade underground mine rather than a bulk tonnage uh, open cut mine. Exactly. Uh, the company talked, you know, I talked to, they believe they could, and they could, that's, they could, they, they haven't proved that. They could have a, a Red Lake 
type of deposit there. Yeah. And then yeah. the difference is that that's one company owned the whole district. In fact, Red Lake, you have many companies. Well, that's there. true. That's true. Well, certainly, Bob Cordemain is a very impressive individual. I interviewed him uh, on my Face the Analyst series, and people can go to Jay Taylor Media to watch that as well. Uh, he has been a very successful operator. He's a wonderful gentleman. He is a, I can't say enough good about that man, not only uh, in his success as a CEO, but also as a human being. Well, uh, what about Romeo's Gold then, Chen? What do you see there? Yeah, Romeo is a very interesting uh, property. Uh, right now, Nova Gold and Tecumenco are going to go ahead with uh, Glow Creek. Uh, you can see their feasibility study, $5 billion capex, uh, more than half a billion is dedicated to build a tunnel uh, to get the ore out. What Romeo has is uh, the property, the location, the uniqueness of the location. They are located on the other side of the mountain. So you, potentially they don't need to build a mountain. I mean, could you do the tunnel, go through the mountain to get the ore out if Romeo finds a good Good intercept, you know, good discovery of war there, and then they just released about two weeks ago a news news report. They got a drill, they got a core, and it looks like they have a good intercept. Mm-hmm. That, that that drill result will be very important. It will come out sometime next month. I was told, so that will really determine, you know, what kind of war they have, what kind of grade they have. Um, you know, if, if a very high grade, they open up possibility. Uh, going underground first, and then you can, you know, you can get ore out, high-grade ore out. Uh, that's actually very, very advantage for um, a company like uh, Nova Gold and uh, Tech Cominco because they don't need to build a tunnel at least at the beginning. They can okay. have the ore on the other side of the mountain. So yeah, that okay, makes them Chen. a very good takeover target. Okay, Chen, you say next month. I'm looking at the calendar. It's the 30th of August. So next month could be a couple of days from now, or it could be a week or two or three weeks from now, right? Exactly. I don't know. They they don't know exactly. They just sent to the lab, ask for a rush job, <laughs> depending on when the, when the lab will, will give them the results. Out. They already have the war. You know, they they already published. They have seen, you know, basically seen those um, massive interceptions. Yeah. Well, Chen, this is certainly an exciting story. So, what you, if I understand what you're saying is, if if Romeo's were to discover something really significant here. Uh, it, they could be a takeover target from Novagold, possibly, because that would lower the capital expenditure for Novagold in the early stages of that major project, allow them to build their mill uh, near the Romeo's project, and then and then perhaps mine gold from Romeo's project. Uh, is that is that the story here? Exactly. I, uh, at least they don't need to build a tunnel at the beginning. They save all the capex. Yeah, about a billion headache. dollars, perhaps something like that. Yeah, uh, more than half a billion, but you know, all, the, billion. all the logistics plus the money, you know, cost yeah. you. So it it, it it works a lot, you know, to consider, you know, market cap for Romeo, it's uh, 70 million, something like that. So yeah. The yeah, is very significant. It could be huge. We want, to, we want to caution our listeners, however, to realize that none of this is proven yet. Uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but a big step in the right direction if... Romeo's comes out with some really high-grade intercepts uh, would really probably, well, it could certainly fire the imagination of the markets and cause the Romeo shares to rise very dramatically. Well, Chen, that's all the time we have right now, uh, but you're going to stick with me, I think, because we're going to talk to a friend named John Lee, who you and I both visited with up in the Yukon uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, so you're going to stay with us, are you? Sure. Okay, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with John Lee. He's the chairman of an exciting Platinum Group nickel project up in the Yukon. Uh, And Chen and I will be talking to John Lee in just a minute. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Merix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. 
Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www www.rypatchgold.com Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chukamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. W.legendgold.com. Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper gold rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, a few weeks back, Chen Lin and I and several other uh, investment professionals uh, traveled to, western, to the western part of the Yukon near the Alaskan border to visit the Wellgreen Platinum Group property. Uh, that is also, it's also really primarily a nickel property and has some copper and gold as well. Uh, and speaking to a ge- geologist who was up there, um, he knows this property very well. In fact, did a lot of work on it in the early days. Uh, I think there's reason to believe that this company, Prophecy Platinum, that, that is now in control of this property, may be in the process of discovering one of the largest platinum group projects in the world, and it could, in fact, attack, potentially someday rival some of the prolific mines in South Africa and Russia in the platinum group metals. Because this is such an exciting story, I am pleased to have with me John Lee. He's the chairman of Prophecy Platinum, and I'm also happy to have Chen Lin uh, stick around with me here for this segment because uh, Prophecy Platinum is one of Chen's picks. In fact, Chen alerted me to this story some time ago, and um, it was a very profitable uh, telephone call I had with uh, with uh, with Chen as well. Welcome, John Lee, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Oh, thank you, Jay, for the invitation. Well, it's really great to have you. I, I do think you have a very exciting property. I should mention uh, that... Uh, Prophecy Platinum trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol NKL. Uh, Pink Sheets, it's uh, down here in the United States over-the-counter. It's P-N-I-K-F. There's about 52 million shares outstanding, 59 fully diluted, rough numbers. Trading today, the last I looked at, around $5.62, giving it a market cap a little bit higher than $290 million. Well, John, let me ask you, what is the current 43101 resource on the property? I believe it's called the Wellgreen property. Yes. Well, Jay, about six weeks, six weeks ago, we announced the 43101 compliant independent resource estimate, and that raised Prophecy Platinum's Wellgreen property at 12 million ounces of PGM plus gold, 2.6 billion pounds of nickel, and 2.4 billion pounds of copper, all within a high-grade uh, ore of 300 million tons. Mm-hmm. 
300 million tons, and that's, uh, that is, could you give our listeners some sense of more or less uh, what the in-ground value may be per ton of ore, uh, well, we can't call it ore yet, per ton of, of resources. Sure, there. sure. Uh, the resource, altogether 300 million tons, you're looking at the grade of about just over one gram in PGM, uh-huh. close to 0.4% nickel and 0.35% copper. The in-situ metal value within the entire mineral resource is over $50 billion. And in terms of uh, gross metal value per ton, mm-hmm. if you would care to punch into the calculator, Casey, Kitco Casey, you're looking at uh, close to $200 a ton. That, wow. that, is the, that is the value of the resource per ton and, basis. And that can make for a very profitable mining operation, of course, depending on a whole lot of other valuable uh, variables. Well, you do have an aggressive drill program going on there now. How much drilling are you doing, and what do you think or what do you hope to accomplish with the current drill program? Sure, Jay. We started drilling in May. We currently have two rigs. Um, however, I think we're late in securing the rigs this season, so we only have one competent crew on site. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, so far, since May, we drilled about 2,000 meters, and we're hoping to do 2,000 meters more. There was one drill uh, hole re- uh, results released uh, last week, and we're looking to uh, release uh, more holes in the weeks to come. So the next hole should be within two weeks. Okay. Uh, Chen, do you have a question for, for John? Oh, yeah. The, so basically, what, what's, uh, what's the significance of the, those uh, coming drill holes? Sure. I think, I think uh, Chen, if we step back just a second, uh, Wellgreen has had a, a very long history. Uh, it's been treated before as a low-grade mine, didn't receive a lot of attention. But obviously with elevated nickel, copper, particularly platinum and palladium prices, um, making, making this deposit a very viable deposit. There's been over 702 drill holes on this property in the past, over two-and-a-half-kilometer strike. And what we're doing now is, is, is very sort of just cherry on top, on, or icing on the cake of, 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 uh, re- reconfirming and also expansion drilling on the existing, res- uh, on the existing drill holes. Uh, in terms of significance, it'll add, uh, to this already monstrous deposit. We drilled a hole right in between, uh, the two zones, uh, of this deposit. And so if, if the results is the hole 188 were to show good numbers, it could potentially demonstrate that the entire system is, 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 is one rather than two separate pieces, and that could have uh, significant ramifications in terms of the overall resource numbers and, and also in terms of the potential to expand the resource further. What uh, You have a platinum. As I understand it, the nickel is probably your most valuable uh, metal right now given current prices. Uh, is yes. that right? Yes. And then well, uh, between platinum and palladium, um, more more platinum or more palladium? Sure. The of the entire of the 50 billion tons of uh, metals in the ground, you're looking at approximately 50 percent nickel, and close to 40 percent PGM now, given the precious metals has uh, started to run up. Mm-hmm. The platinum is the dominant metal within the PGM. You're looking at around close to 65 percent or 60 65 percent platinum. Mm-hmm. And around 20, 25 percent palladium, and, and then around 15 percent in gold. So this makes prophecy platinum a, a well green, very rare deposit in North America. If you look at the other companies, are uh, there are PGM mines or PGM deposits? Usually, they're palladium dominant. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. There. Uh, so platinum, of course, is quite a bit more valuable than palladium. Could give give our listeners a, a, an idea of the relative price of platinum and palladium. Sure. Platinum currently trades $1,850 an ounce, yeah. and palladium is trading at about $800, $750 an ounce. Uh, a lot of difference there. <laughs> um, what, you've had a lot, of, uh, a lot of work, as you just said, a lot of work done on this property in the past. What has, um, you know, why has the project not gone forward? I mean, it goes way back, quite a, quite a couple of decades at least going back, right? So what's held the project up? Why has it not progressed? Well, I think Chen can also allude to this. Many times you could have a good property, but, but, but uh, average management and uh, the inability for the management to market the story and raise the necessary capital to proceed with the development and exploration. I think that, that played probably the one that's a key factor. And the previous company that owned this property had a somewhat of a notorious uh, in, uh, major shareholder 
and therefore it took a long time for us to convince uh, the shareholder to, 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 to sell the property to us. And before then, I think that some people just prefer not to deal with the management and the shareholder. Uh, John, you, um, you are a spin-off company from a very interesting company called Prophecy Coal. Talk to us a minute about Prophecy Coal. Sure. Well, Jay, I started, the, I started Prophecy Group in October of 2009 in the wake of the financial crisis. And we, I grew the company from zero to where we are today. We have two companies under our stable, Platinum and Coal, together about close to half a billion dollar in market cap. Um, and we knew each other, we knew each other for, for over six, seven years now through James Turk. Um, the Platinum property, Wellgreen, was spun off from Prophecy Coal, which itself is traded at Toronto under PCY. And uh, Prophecy Coal has 1.4 billion tons of coal in Mongolia with over $40 million in capital equipment, but right now trades at about $150 million market cap. It does retain 45% stake in Prophecy Platinum, mm. and those stake right now trades around $130 million. Mm. Okay. Uh, Chen? Chen, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Uh, John Lee, are you there? Yep, still here. Okay. Chen, did you have a question for John Lee? We've only got about a minute left. Okay, yeah, John, why is the Prophecy Co. so undervalued if you deduct the Prophecy Platinum value, it almost gave nothing? It's probably trading negative, given Prophecy Co. also have around $5 million in equity holding of, of Victor Nickel and Compliance Energy. Uh, it has something to do with the share structure, uh, uh, Chen, because uh, when we spin off, uh, when Prophecy Co. spun off Prophecy Platinum two months ago, the warrant holders of Prophecy Plot, uh, Coal also are entitled to Prophecy Platinum shares. So therefore, we've had about 5 million uh, warrants of Prophecy Coal that's been exercised um, in order for the uh, warrant holders to get the Platinum shares, and that, that's putting a pressure on the market. But, but we, we do anticipate the pressure to, to dissipate really soon. John, can you, uh, in closing, as we do have to move on to uh, Dick Bouvet, who's going to be with sure. us in just a few moments, but in closing, could you tell our listeners, what is the symbol, the trading symbol for Prophecy Coal? Sure. The symbol for Prophecy Coal is PCY. PCY. Thank you very much, uh, John Lee, for being with us. Thank you, Chen, for, uh, for sticking around uh, with us this segment. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with one of Wall Street's best-known bank analyst, Dick Bouvet, who's going to have some very interesting things to tell us, I'm sure. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Mr. Bouvet. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Merix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters 
Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chikamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. Legendgold.com. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me once again... Dick Bouvet, very well-known Wall Street analyst uh, when it comes to the uh, financial sector anyway, and he along with Meredith Whitney, probably perhaps the two biggest names in this market, um, in this area. Uh, Dick Bouvet uh, is with Rockdale Securities now, and he's a frequent guest on CNBC and Fox and all the major media. Welcome, Dick, again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thank you. It's really good to have you with us uh, on July 27th on CNBC's Fast Money, you said many things that I very much agree with. Uh, I'm not happy to say I agree with them, but I do. Uh, you said the U.S. has some core problems that, you, um, that the markets are maybe beginning to start to face. In fact, uh, you said we're seeing a, what you thought was a sea change for the global monetary system away from a U.S. dollar-centric system to the, to the, to, you know, in the global monetary system. And you said something like you can't uh, have the world's reserve currency as a safe haven currency when your country is bankrupt, when it's willing to debase its currency, and when it can't export uh, more than it imports over a long period of time. And that's not exactly a quote. That's just sort of a paraphrase of my own. So correct me if I, if I read you wrong on, those, uh, on, the, on that statement. No, no, no. You, you, you read me exactly correctly. I mean, if uh, we, we go back to the extreme period of the end of World War II, 100% of the world's currency was the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. And if we take a look at the uh, skewing of currencies today, um, assuming that uh, the IMF numbers are correct uh, concerning M2 country by country, the United States now has 18% of the world's currencies. Mm. There are actually, in dollar terms, more euros outstanding, more yuan outstanding, and more yen outstanding than U.S. dollars, mm. which means that it's very difficult to assume, number one, that a country that doesn't have the greatest number of, if you will, units of currency in the market is going to have the world's reserve currency. But then you have the, the second problem, which is that the United States um, is incapable of paying its debt. Now, I know that the president says that it can pay its debt, and I know that you know, the uh, rating agencies outside of Standard & Poor's say that it can pay its debt. But the only way the United States can pay its debt at the moment is to borrow the money to do so. And that's not paying the debt. There obviously is the opportunity to raise taxes dramatically to pay the debt or to reduce expenditures dramatically to pay the debt. But the United States is unwilling to do either one of those things. So now you've got a country that can't pay its debt, that can't service its debt because it has an ongoing deficit, which doesn't have the largest amount of units of currency in the world monetary system, which has the world's reserve currency. Mm. There's no logic there. Mm -hmm. I I can't disagree, but there might be another way, though, uh, to repay the debt, and that might be to debase the currency or print money. Well, of course, the United States is attempting to do that. I mean, yeah. you know, the um, uh, quantitative easing programs that the United States government has put in place, of course, 
are always open to debate, but, you know, there is no debate about the fact that there was a $600 billion increase in the reserves at the Federal Reserve during the period of QE2, so-called, and the United States economy weakened throughout that period, which means that if the the goal of, of printing all this money was to stimulate faster growth in the U.S. economy, it, it was not achieved. That goal was not achieved. At the same point in time, uh, we did see some very unfortunate developments occur, i.e., the price of gold went way up. It's possible that the price of oil is higher than it otherwise would be, although we've got all of this upset in the Middle East, which would make, make that statement somewhat argumentative. Uh, but, but the point essentially is that this, this increase in money supply uh, did very little to stimulate the U.S. economy. It did very little to pay down the U.S. debt. It did a lot to make a loaf of bread more expensive mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. That certainly would not bode well for average folks, and we've had another a fairly high-profile uh, guest on this show named Howard Davidowitz, who, uh, who is a frequent guest on CNBC or has been at times in the past. And he noted how 80% of the American people are having a more difficult time making ends meet, while Wall Street and, and some people, uh, you know, the top 20% are doing okay and the top 1% or so are doing much better. But uh, it seems to me that uh, inflation, is that something that you're worried about? Well, what, what I'm more worried about is what you just said, which is something called the Gini Index, right? In the G-I-N-I, which I'm sure you're well aware of, which expresses the differential um, country by country between the wealthiest and the, uh, the those in the low-income levels. Mm-hmm. And the Gini Index has been moving, you know, in the wrong direction for the United States for some time because basically uh, there has been this skewing of income which is not filtered down, if you will, to people in the lower quintiles in terms of income income generation. Mm-hmm. And, and I, what surprises me is that there has not been any political backlash in the United States, you know, reflecting this. In other words, usually when you see a large portion of a population not participating in the the growth in wealth or the growth in income, there tends to be a political reaction. Uh, and, and in the United States, you know, obviously President Obama was elected uh, with a different point of view than President Bush, but the fact of the matter is there hasn't been any reaction to this skewing of income. And it just seems to me that it definitely is going to happen. Do you think the Tea Party might not be a reaction to that? The Tea Party is a reaction, but it's not a reaction, uh, you know, from the standpoint of trying to generate more income uh, in the lower quintiles. It's more a reaction of trying to reduce taxation on the upper quintiles, mm-hmm. and that's really not what, what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Dick, one of the things that sort of, <clears throat> sort of upset me when I watched that clip on uh, Fast Money, at the end of the show, one of the... <clears throat> one of the CNBC folks said something about, uh, you know, he didn't think that you should badmouth America, and I don't think you, that you were. In fact, I don't know how telling the truth uh, is badmouthing your country. To the contrary, I believe that you're doing a great service by by honestly speaking out, because uh, you know you are an independent guy. Howard Davidowitz is an independent guy. Uh, you you you're free to tell the truth, and to me, that's what we need, rather than having people say, "Wait a minute, am I going to collect my paycheck if I say what I really think on television?" So kudos to you, as far as I'm concerned, Dick, and I really appreciate that, and I could not disagree more with the gentleman on CNBC who was uh, sort of suggesting that Dick Bouvet should not badmouth America. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I, I just think that truth-telling, you know, sometimes the truth is not what we want to hear. We all, uh, we're all told, thing, told uh, you know, we all learn of things we don't want to know, we don't want to know about, so we put our head in the sand, we pretend they don't exist, we watch Desperate Housewives or we watch football or whatever, and we don't, you know, we pretend everything is all right. And it seems to me that that's part of what's going on. Maybe one of the reasons not more people uh, are paying attention to this uh, uh, to this um, uh, this lack of egalitarian income or the the move away from it, I think we've seen it since the 1960s, honestly, 1970s or so, 
And uh, I have a theory that I don't expect you necessarily to agree with, but that is that the move away from the gold standard allowed a reallocation of wealth from from those that produce it to those that control the system. But that's a whole other area, and I don't, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have editorialized on that because you have too many important things to say, and we won't have enough time. So if I don't shut up pretty soon, my listeners are all going to hang up, and they're not going to continue listening. Um, well, what do you think? Can the U.S. ever get back to its good old days? That is, you're, I think you're really telling the truth when you talk about uh, a country that's essentially bankrupt, a country that uh, its Federal Reserve is willing to debase its currency, and a country that can't compete in the world's uh, stage in, uh, in the economy. Can we get back to it, and if so, how? Well, I think the, the solution is, is a very difficult. It, it is there, it's clear, but it's difficult to achieve, and that is we have to produce pr- products that are being sold Globally, in other words, when the United States was developing itself into being the most powerful financial comp- country in the world, it was doing so because it had a, an export surplus and because it was it was generating, if you will, funds from other nations. Uh, gold, uh, you know, in the 1930s, obviously we had more gold than anyone else in the world. But the point is that uh, it was because we were a an efficient producer of goods that we were selling globally. Our problem today is that we've moved away from being a producer of goods to uh, a nation driven by consumption. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think every economist who gets up kind of speaks about the fact that 70% of the United States economy is driven by consumption, and therefore we must do things to stimulate consumption. And I think that's absolutely incorrect because we're stimulating consumption by, uh, in part, printing money, in part, borrowing money, in part, you know, asking the American people to, to, to establish personal balance sheets and income statements, which which are not helpful for for their long-term survival. So I, I really believe that we we've, we've got to shift from consuming to creating manufacturing, and if we do that we will adjust this problem. Yeah. The problem that I see with that, Dick, is exactly what, you know, what we were just saying, is that truth sometimes hurts, and it would hurt in the short term. I mean, it seems to me that the, the scope of politicians and even a lot of corporate executives is next quarter's earnings uh, or, or the short term, you know, and how can, we, how can we keep the ball in the air a little longer and let someone else worry about it down the road? So, when does this end? I mean, this notion that, you know, everybody, everybody's interested in the next quarter's earnings, and everybody's interested in, um, you know, in, in getting the guys in Washington interested in getting reelected. So what's going to change that unless we have some sort of a breakdown? Well, I, I think, in fact, we're, I think, in fact, it's going to end very soon, not, not later. I think all of the, I hate this cliche, kicking the can down the road. Yeah. I hate the other cliche, which is this is a problem for our grandchildren, because it isn't a problem for our grandchildren, and there is no more road. There's a cliff, and you can kick the can off the cliff if you want. But I think in 2012, the presidential debate will bring uh, very bring out very clearly the problems that the United States must deal with now. And I think in 2013, we will be dealing with it. And I think, therefore, we're looking at a, a long period in the United States, perhaps started in 2006, in which there is virtually no growth in the U.S. economy as the U.S. economy begins to adjust to the reality that consumption cannot be the way that we drive uh, this economy forward, and, and we, are going to, we are going to start making that adjustment. Uh, but I think, it's, I think it's now. I think we're there. I don't think this is something that's going to happen uh, at some point in the future. You know, the hope that, you know, maybe the economy is going to turn around, the hope that maybe tax, you know, income is going to, you know, increase for, for whatever reason, uh, or the hope that this, uh, you know, Fed governor today said that, uh, you know, maybe if we print some more money, I think all those hopes are false hopes. They're not going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're going to have to do is start to deal with the reality, and that's going to be, I think, somewhat painful. Well, Dick, you know, it seems to me that um, wages for average people have been lagging for some time. You mentioned maybe, I think you said something about 2006. It seems to me that we've had sort of a lag for a long time. And what we were doing, uh, we were making up for the lack of purchasing power by extending credit 
to consumers in mass and certainly the mortgage markets and also credit cards and so forth and so on that seems to have come to an end the banks are not extending that kind of credit anymore uh and so i mean is that is is that a long-term change as well and then that leads me to another question they're pumping lots of money into the system you talk about the liquidity of these banks and yet they're not lending very much why is that well, there were two reasons. Uh, one, you know, one might argue that demand is a lot weaker, but I really think that's not the core reason. The core reason is because under the new uh, banking regulations, as it affects uh, capital requirements and liquidity requirements, uh, the banks simply lack the capacity to, to lend the money. For example, uh, let's assume you have a bank which has $100 in assets in it, and the government says that you have to have 4% of your assets and capital, uh, so the bank has four bucks in capital, and all of a sudden the gov- government comes along and says, wait a minute, it's got to be 7%. Well, the bank can't increase its capital, so it, so it has to shrink down to maybe, mm-hmm. you know, $80 in assets. Then the government comes along and says, well, we notice of the $80 in assets you have, you've only got $10 invested in government bonds or cash, and we want that to be 20 <laughs> and so now, you know, you've taken that $100 in assets down to maybe 60 which is available for lending. And even though I'm giving you simplistic numbers, that's pretty close to what's happened. So, so the net effect is the banks uh, don't lend money. And, you know, the perfect example of this is if you take a look at the uh, reserves at the Federal Reserve, basically – their deposits made by banks, right? In other words, mm-hmm. a bank, and you know this, but yeah. when a bank deposits money at the Federal Reserve, it's called reserves. Mm-hmm. A certain portion of those reserves are required. A mm-hmm. certain portion are borrowed by other banks. What's left over of these bank deposits, which have not been required and have not been borrowed, is something called net free reserves. The net free reserves at the Federal Reserve right now are $1.6 trillion are more than a thousand times greater than normal. And why is that money sitting there? Why are the banks putting those deposits to the Fed instead of putting it into the economy? Because they have to, because mm-hmm. they need to have liquidity and they need to meet these capital ratios. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I want to get to liquidity in a couple of your comments recently about Bank of America and some of the other major banks, but I, I would like to go back to some comments you made on the 27th of July, also on that CNBC program. Uh, and, you know, the question to you was, well, then, Dick, where do we go to if we can't go to U.S. Treasuries? You said, well, we can't go to the dollar, we can't go to Swiss francs, we can't go to euros, we can't go to gold. Some people would argue the dollar, yes, you can go to the dollar because we have this fantastic military machine that allows us to do things and to sort of force other countries to keep using the dollar as our reserve currency. We had John Perkins on this show, uh, uh, author of a book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Perkins talked about how he believes uh, one of the reasons we went to war in Iraq was because Saddam was refusing to accept dollars any longer for the sale of his oil, and he required Euros, what do you say to this argument that our military can just, you know, basically force people to keep uh, using U.S. dollars? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I apologize. I just don't buy it. I think that uh, if you think about the complexity of the world financial system, the, the, the need for a capital market structure um, that we've created financial instruments, whether the, the derivatives, uh, whether they're, you know, all of the things that you heard about during the, the housing period, what, what you, you need a multi-layered capital structure. Mm-hmm. And the reason why you can't switch over to the yuan or to the yen, you know, tomorrow is mm-hmm. because they don't have the capital structure that allows for the flow of funds through the global economy which is already in place for the dollar. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the, the Japanese, I'm sorry, the Chinese and the Russians, they, they want to create such a structure. They're working hard to create such a structure, mm-hmm. but it could take a decade or longer. In mm-hmm. other words, there is in place a system, and that system works, and that system is driven by the dollar. And until that system is pulled down and, a, and another system is put in place, uh, to replace it, you know, the dollar will still be the primary, you know, global currency. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't think the, the military has anything to do with that at all. Sure, but as you pointed out, the dollar has been shrinking from 100% of the world's reserve currency to a very low number. I can't remember exactly what you said. The 18%. IMF, 18%. IMF numbers, uh, very interesting because I think on CNBC they were talking about numbers that were quite a bit higher, so I don't know uh, who's right about that. But nonetheless, there's no question that the dollar has been losing its significance as the world's reserve currency. Well, you mentioned, I suppose, Swiss francs are not a viable alternative because it's just not a big enough market. Is that right? Well, exactly. In other words, the Swiss National Bank uh, about a year ago tried to intervene to stop the rise in the value of the Swiss franc, but mm -hmm. they didn't have any money. I mean, there's, there's less than... Uh, a trillion dollars in Swiss francs. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, they, they were bankrupting the, the, the country by attempting to stabilize their currency, so they had to let it go because they couldn't, they couldn't stop the appreciation. Now, they, they, they're trying again uh, at, a, at a much higher level, and they're hopeful at this level they can have an impact, but the fact of the matter is that uh, they're just too small. They, they just can't do it. No. Uh, you can't use gold as the international currency because it's not liquid and it's not fungible to the degree that it can create, uh, if you will, a 30-year bond, uh, you know, that can be uh, broken into four tranches, that can have, uh, you know, different ratings, etc. Uh, mm -hmm. It can then be restructured. Um, right now, there is no viable substitute, but... That doesn't say there will not be a viable substitute, and certainly we know that there's a great deal of effort being put into finding a viable uh, substitute. Right, and you're suggesting perhaps the yuan down the road uh, will take maybe a decade or so. It'll take a lot of time. Meantime, then, the question is where do we go and what do we do now uh, as individuals? And um, you know, well, uh, let's. The other alternative that's not viable, you say, are the you know the euro. The euro, perhaps for obvious reasons, given the problems they're having now, the the uh, sovereign debt problems, or, or what's your thinking there? Because the euros, you mentioned, there are more euros out there now in dollar terms than dollars. I think you said. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, the, the, the problem that the Europe has is that it's uh, in the same situation as the United States, except perhaps a little bit worse in the sense that. Um, we know that these countries can't repay their debt. I mean, I said that about the United States. Mm -hmm. It's certainly yes. true of the countries in Europe. The, the difference is that we can float dollars to fund our debt. They can't. Mm -hmm. So the net effect is, ultimately, they're going to have to restructure their debt. We also know that the banks in Europe have not correctly valued, we'll say, the debt of, of, of Greece, of Ireland, of Portugal, probably of Belgium, the Netherlands, and a whole bunch of other countries, uh, Hungary, Poland, etc. So, so the net effect is their banking system, unlike ours, is not based upon solid capital grounding, and their banking system is attempting to forget the fact that the people that they've loaned, the countries that they've loaned money to can't pay them back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to, to assume that a currency based upon that system is is the one that should replace the dollar? I think is uh, is, is a stretch. Mm -hmm. in, in the end, it's it's. It, I will never, I guess, ever understand how the yen is valued where it is. We, we've got a nation which supposedly, for close to 15 years now, has been unable to get its economy moving forward, which has a political system which is you know, fraught with change. I mean, six prime ministers in five years, you know, is, 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 does not imply a degree of stability. Oh. We've got a banking system which is over-leveraged. We have a nation which has uh, a higher level of debt to GDP than we do, mm -hmm. and yet everybody wants that currency. Yeah. I, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand it unless there's a lot of... Um short covering unless there's a lot of debts that have to be repaid and people are, are selling what they've got in order to buy in. I don't know. I, I know that was... Uh, well, any, anyway, um, you, on August 9th, you were on Fox Business, and uh, you sort of changed your view a little bit. on. I mean, on the earlier interview on CNBC that we've been talking about, you basically said, get out of the market, go to cash, uh, and suggested that you were doing that with your own money. 
Uh, and then on August 9th, though, you started to warm up a little bit to some of the major banking institutions. I think you might have talked about Bank of America there. What caused you to change your, your view and the sentiment a little bit in a more positive direction towards some of the major banks? Well, there was, it would, there was a dramatic change in the prices of these stocks. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if, if you would take a look at one of the common indexes, the Keith Briette Banking Index, it actually has fallen about 21%. And uh, when, when you take a look at where the prices of bank stocks were relative to the cash on their balance sheet, uh, it became apparent that the market was valuing these banks as if they were going to fail. Mm-hmm. And why do I say that? If you take a look, at you mentioned Bank of America. Mm-hmm. Bank of America has $140 billion in cash, and its, it's uh, tangible common equity is $125 billion. Mm-hmm. What that tells you is it's the tangible common equity of Bank of America is all cash, and the stock was selling at about a 50% discount to the tangible common equity of the company, which means it's selling at a 50% discount to cash. Mm-hmm. If you look at BNY Mellon, uh, the old Bank of New York, yep. they had $122 billion in cash, and their common equity was $34 billion. So the cash on the balance sheet was was three and a half times the common equity of the company, and the stock was selling at a discount to the common equity. Hmm. That company has $98 a share in cash on its balance sheet, and the stock is selling at 21 bucks. Yeah. J.P. Morgan Chase is $308 billion in cash. It has $176 billion in equity, which means all of its equity is cash, and the market cap of the company is $145 billion. So if, if I believed that these companies were going to go under, I'd still make money if I bought the stocks because when they went under and the cash was distributed among the shareholders, it would be, be higher than the price of the common stock. Oh. I don't believe these companies are going under, and therefore I think that the stocks will, 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 have been way over-discounted. Dick, we only got about one minute left, but how do you account for that? How could the markets have it so wrong? Well, I think uh, I like to call it the monster under the bed theory, uh, <laughs> which essentially is that there's a belief uh, that there is a big problem out there, undefinable, unquantifiable, but that it's going to happen. The, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the obvious one in Bank of America, everybody says mortgages, but you can't say that with Bank of New York because they don't have any mortgages. You can't say that with Northern Trust or Sun, uh, State Street or, 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 because there's, there's over half dozen banks in the position that I just mentioned. It has to be a belief that the cash has no value. In other words, that, you know, cash is losing its value and therefore getting cash back on the liquidation of these companies is to get something back which has, which doesn't have value. You think the markets uh, markets might be betting on a debasing of the currency, a QE, as Mark Faber says, a QE24? Well, I think that's exactly what these stocks are saying, right? Uh In other words, they're saying, you know, all right, so, you know, the bank goes under, we get cash back. Well, we don't want the cash because the cash is not worth anything. Yeah, very interesting. A a quick story. I mean, when my father took me to the grocery store when I was 17, he was complaining because the price of bread was 21 cents a loaf. And I said, Dad, why are you complaining about this? 21 cents is nothing. He said, when I was a kid, it was 2 cents a loaf. Uh Well, it's a buck 75 a loaf today. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, well, it certainly is true, especially since the Federal Reserve came into existence in 1913. We've seen the dollar lose virtually, you know, I don't know, 90-some percent of its value since then. So there has been a long-term trend towards debasing the currency. Dick, I want to thank you so much. Always insightful, so much, uh, so many good things to tell us, so many interesting uh, insights. I love your independence. I'd love to have you on the show. Thank you so much uh, for being honest and for telling us what you really believe. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Bob Hoy. I'm sure Bob will have some comments as well along the same lines and perhaps somewhat different than uh, Mr. Bouvet. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Bob Hoy. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 
Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chukamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. W.LegendGold.com Merix Gold with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters romeo's gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of british columbia's golden triangle a copper gold rich region with improving infrastructure Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi-billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world-class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. 